Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 4. I enjoyed my long break, have to admit, but now we're back. And we're honored to be back with a fantastic guest. We'll get to him in just a minute. We are thrilled that Season 4 in its entirety of This Week in Voice is sponsored by Microsoft. And if you don't know what Microsoft's doing, they're going to be part of Project Voice with us. Eric Eglund is coming to deliver what we call the Microsoft Keynote for that. Uh, you can learn more about that at projectvoice.ai. And we're excited to be working with other parts of the organization as well. More will come out about that soon. Thank you to Microsoft for their support of this show. We are excited to have, as our guest, kicking off Season 4, none other than... Brett Kinsella of VoiceBot.ai. Brett, say hello. Bradley, thanks for inviting me to be on This Week in Voice. I love the show. I've done it for a long... I've listened since the very beginning. And uh, always a thrill to sit down with you because, I mean, you touch everyone in the industry. So I always love having a little back and forth with you. Appreciate that, Brett. And, uh, you know, excited to get our VoiceBot.ai story of the week going as well. well. We'll get to that in just a bit. There's a lot going on, and I want to cover um, the summer. It's been a busy summer, and yes. um, I want to just sort of hit it um, and see what you you find most interesting. Uh, I'm going to rattle through some of these stories, um, and if you're following along on the web, all of these stories come under the subhead, The Voice First Cold Winter of Summer 2019. There's a big conversation going on, even before I get into the stories, there's a big conversation going on amongst folks who are involved with voice and AI on what exactly is happening. Are we in this trough of disillusionment? Um, are we, um, you know, eagerly just awaiting new features or are, should we be upset about something or should we be worried that this is not taking like we thought it was, even despite all of the, the statistics on purchasing of Echo devices and Google Assistant devices and so on and the usage in the car? And um, is there a chance that all of this sort of reverts and that people decide this isn't the way that things are going to go? I think that um, out on the frontier, where you and I are and the people that we interact with on a daily basis. Um, this is the questions that are being asked now with everybody else. Purchasing of echo devices is still continuing at a breakneck speed. Um, same thing for Google devices, same thing for uh, people using Siri on their phone. And obviously one of the things that happened this summer was Bixby rolled out um, and some of their developer uh, tools and their ecosystem. Um, but yet there's this feeling of apprehension, and that's really what I want to get at with this first story. I'm going to rattle through these uh, headlines, and I guess what I'd ask you, Brett, is um, I'm going to go through these, or six of them, and maybe you tell me, um, number one, are we in a voice-first cold winter in your estimation? And then which one of these stories maybe stands out to you more than the others as being evidence of that or something that we should be focused on? One A from the World Economic Forum, voice tech, and the question of trust. This dives deep into a lot of the issues plaguing voice technology right now that are unresolved. 1B, Foxconn admits school children worked overnight to build Alexa devices. You know the Amazon PR team loves seeing that. 1C, Amazon sued for allegedly infringing on voice tech patents. That's not good. 
1D dev developer constellation around Alexa and Google leaves some pulling away from Cortana. Sorry, Microsoft. Appears to be happening. 1E, Google Nest exec decries lack of standardization in the market, and that's causing th them to do some things a little mm -hmm. bit differently. Um, 1F, Samsung doesn't even mention Bixby even once during their Galaxy Note 10 unveiling event, and this is something that people picked up on. So, Brett, again, the question for you, are we in a voice-first cold winter, and which one of these stories stands out more than the other ones? <laughs> well, so I wrote in Voice Insider at the beginning of July that we're sort of heading into this trough of disillusionment. And if people aren't familiar with that term, it comes from Gartner and they have this thing called the hype cycle. And the hype cycle starts out with people being interested in it. And it goes to this stage called the peak of inflated expectations, right? And once expectations are inflated, obviously nothing can live up to the hype, right? And so then what happens is people then, start to think negatively about it and they get into this trough of disillusionment and they're like, Oh, will this ever be good? And then after a while people come back to it and they're like, Oh yeah, this technology is pretty good. And then they, they've got this thing called the slope of enlightenment, but it's a strong contrast between euphoria on once and in one phase and then total despair in another. And that's really typical of the way humans are in terms of the way we treat things. It's kind of like when we have a recession, we tend to overreact in terms of how bad it really is. And then we don't recognize the, the signals that it's stronger, you know, coming back, you know, until that well into it. And then we overreact in the optimism and then, and then it goes down again. So, and so this is a longstanding framework, the trough of disillusionment. Cold winter is another one uh, that we hear from the AI world. We hear about these AI winters, but in general, the idea is has, is there more negative sentiment than there was in the past? And the one thing I'll tell you about all these stories that strikes me is, well, you definitely know voice matters now. Because if all these things were happening a couple of years ago, they wouldn't have garnered any headlines. I mean, the fact that some of them are, are associated with really big tech companies and everyone likes head, negative headlines about tech companies because what does it do? It drives clicks and page views. You know, the fact is that all of these together say, hey, you know what? People are focused on voice. They know what it is. So I can write a story about it and people will pay attention. And whether it's the World Economic Forum, World Economic Forum, they're not going to do something that's not like doesn't matter, right? So they think this matters. And so if you're in the industry, you might look at this favorably and say, oh, okay, everyone recognizes that this is important. I'm in an industry, therefore, that is important. I just need to figure out how to navigate some of the negative news stories that are coming out these days. Thank you for that. So, so you think we are in a cold winter? No, I don't think we're in a cold winter. So okay. it, depends on, it depends on what your definition of a cold winter is. I, what I'd written a few weeks ago, maybe it was two months at this point, is that I'm starting to see a lot more negative stories. Mm. I'm, I'm also just in terms of the conversations I'm having with people in the industry, I'm not hearing boundless enthusiasm from every sector like I used to. There's still some, obviously, perpetual cheerleaders. Uh, there's some optimists out there. There's a, there's a few more pessimists right now. And so I think that we're in a period right now, which is a natural period where we're, we're going to have to adjust to. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be providing scrutiny and what's going on. And it's, it's, 
it's always easier to complain about something or say something's bad than it is to say why something's good. So we're just going to see a proliferation of that. And if I take you to each of these things individually, so let's say the patent infringement lawsuit. If Alexa weren't very popular, no one would have bothered to sue Amazon, right? Um, or Google for that matter, or any of these other folks. And so the fact that it's sort of taking off is an indication that people are saying, hey, there's, there's really something important here. And we'll take the time to invest the five to seven years it's going to take and invest the millions of dollars in legal fees to make this pay off because obviously this thing isn't going away. Um, if I talk about the school children making the devices, I mean, first of all, I think that was, that was, it was very different than maybe when I was growing up when we had like child labor practices in Southeast Asia, which were negative, where the kids really were like chattel slavery, um, where this was, they were being paid overtime. I mean, it was, and it was some teacher who was sort of coercing them. So that was sort of a non-story. We didn't cover that. We did cover the patent infringement. Um, it, you know, because I thought that really Amazon just, it could have been anybody, it just happened to be Amazon that they were working for, that that teacher happened to have, his, have their kids like there. The World Economic Forum thing, we also didn't cover, I saw it. Um, but I, you know, essentially, there's another point here, which I wrote about a couple of weeks ago in Voice Insider again. And this was about what's the biggest threat to voice adoption. And it's, it's really not the technology. I think we've passed that. We've found technology that has utility and consumers like it. It's not consumers going to flock away because there's some concern about privacy. We've not seen any evidence to that. And in fact, uh, I just saw some data out from Canalis today for Q2 smart speaker sales globally went up 55% hmm. in the second quarter over Q2 2018. So that's grown. Now in the U.S., there's a slight decline, 2.4%. But okay, I mean, I don't know if that's, what is that? Is that because we hit saturation in the US? Is it something else? Is it people have devices? I don't know. Uh, something that we'll wanna look at, but I don't think it's really consumers running away. We'll know in the next two quarters if that's it. I, I really believe that the negative news stories are more likely to be used as a pretext for government regulation. And that the biggest threat really is that some sort of onerous regulations come down, which undermine the utility of voice in some way and, and therefore discourage investment so that it doesn't actually get better very fast. Yeah, I mean, that would be a big problem. <laughs> um, so just to summarize, so you, you look at these stories and it's, it's, it's an interesting perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. You look at these stories and sort of reflect on the fact that their mere existence signals the permanence of this movement toward voice in a way that overshadows any particular one of them, um, as well as any particular, you know, any so-called cold winter. You, you're, you're focused on just the fact that these stories are evidence, which I agree with you, I think they are, of just how much it all matters. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and in terms of the biggest threat, um, so I think voice has come so far that we can, we can sort of pick, up the, pick it up and look at it from a number of different angles. And regulation is one of them. Um, and let's just sort of go through, go through some of these for a minute, because um, I think really 
the point of of this episode and just where we need to start with this week in voice in general is just thinking about and reflecting back on just how far we've come. So the last couple of years uh, with voice, you didn't hear a thing about any of this stuff. You didn't hear a peep. All, all that anyone wanted to talk about was the exponential, you know, rocket ship-esque sales curve of Echo devices. And um, yeah, if you heard something else, it was just, you know, maybe there's an well, interesting... Yeah, and I can think about this. So think about mobile, which a lot of your um, audience will be familiar with the, the rise of mobile. Originally, the iPhone came out. It was a toy, right? That was your, largely what people said. Mm. And I remember the one of the co-CEOs and chairman of RIM, uh, Research in Motion, which is now called BlackBerry, um, said, you know, no serious enterprise will ever adopt this. Um, this it doesn't have a physical tactile keyboard and we know that our customers demand that, right? So, and they don't have security and all these other things. And so that was an initial issue. And then you might remember that you couldn't make phone calls on Apple iPhones at one point, unless you held them at a very peculiar angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Steve <laughs> Jobs famously said, well, that's the consumer's fault, basically. They need to hold it properly. Uh, we had uh, concerns about the fact that there weren't any apps because at one point there weren't a lot of apps for it. And uh, then later on, Android came about and then there were all these security concerns. And then people said, oh, wait a second. Now these big tech companies are tracking your every movement. They know where you are. Oh, and now their apps know where you are. And isn't this terrible? And it really didn't have a big impact on mobile adoption. No, that's 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 great. That's that's a great perspective. Um, How quickly things change. And, you know, and all it really takes is, um, let's go back to government regulation for a minute. I think that it's, and I've made this point a couple of other times um, in talks over the summer, really not since this week in voice has been out of season. If we had a different president in office, you know, you can like Trump, you can hate him. It doesn't really affect the conversation we're about to have, if we had a different president in office, I feel like we would be at a different place with voice because um, Trump doesn't know much about technology. He, you know, it just doesn't, it's just not something that's been that big on his radar. He, he focuses on other things. Now a second term Trump easily could come in there and want to break up some of these companies or some of these democratic contenders could as well. And I think that conversation touches on voice in a deep way. I think what you've seen with, um, you know, if you look back at the last couple of years with Amazon sort of leading the charge with Alexa, that is what got us here. Amazon's investment and their marketing and their brand equity being a brand that customers trust, that got us here. That got, you know, Google was chasing them. They caught up. Um, Apple wasn't paying any attention. They woke up uh, to some degree. Uh, Samsung was said, hey, let's do this too. It was what Amazon did that got us here. And if you break up Amazon into some smaller companies, what does that mean? Does that open up opportunities for other people uh, to play ball um, in a way that drives the market forward? Or does that destroy the capabilities or in, in mitigate them um, of the company that views this as most important. 
I think you can have a conversation about that. And that's just one aspect of regulation. You're just talking about it generally. But um, I agree. That could be a huge threat. The other thing I think of, too, just in the result of doing the show, I think I think I agree with you. I think we've seen that people talk a good game on privacy and they really don't care. Judging from their actions, you know, it's like, I mean, this this may be tracking my every movement. Do I still have it? But it's yeah. so useful. Yeah. Do I still <laughs> what have am I going to do? Am yeah. I going to like not have it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Samsung, big article, you know, a couple of years ago about how their TVs like had this ability to like spy on everyone. And that's the TV I've got in my home office. You know, I didn't switch it out. I did nothing. Um, and do I, do I spend less time in my office? No, I don't. So um who we are as people, it's hard habits to break. And that's why privacy, people talk a good game and then it ends up not mattering. But I tell you what does matter is in a way that I never really expected to see is um, cultural perspectives on the technology. Like when we covered, um, and it was big news here in Nashville when the guy you know, who I've met before, this guy asked Alexa, who is Jesus Christ? And it doesn't answer the question correctly. And this guy throws a big fit and it gets all in the media. This is like before Christmas a couple of years ago. And, um, and then same thing for Hillary Clinton. Somebody asked, who's Hillary Clinton? Um, doesn't answer in a way that people like. And people were like, boycott, you know. And uh, that's just who we are as a culture. We're very quick to react. I could see that being a threat is different cultural forces at play deciding for some self-serving reason or another that, they're just going to make an example out of this technology. I could see that as a threat too, but in general, I, I agree. I think regulation is um, something to keep an eye on. Um, and I'll just say, I'm not, I'm not concerned about antitrust as far as voice goes, that there's enough momentum behind it. There's been enough investment done already and antitrust processes take several years to play out. I don't think that's going to have a meaningful impact on this space. I think the, the, the train has left the station, so to speak, All right. uh, on the voice front. But I will say there's specific regulation. And this is when we think of the regulator, whether it be uh, the FAA or um, not the FAA, the, um, uh, it, well, it could not, not the SEC, but the FTC. FTC would be the one. It would be the FTC, you know, came in and said, hey, that there's something wrong here. Or someone in the Justice Department, one of the divisions there came forward and said, hey, we want to look at this more specifically. Uh, you know, if we if we had something like that and they put a moratorium on um, supervised learning or the certain use cases that you could employ or that children cannot be around voice assistants, Right you know, for some sort of protection, then, then that would have a chilling effect on the entire industry. Hmm. I still think people would use them, but it would really change the nature of it. And it could significantly change the nature of investment, not just by the big platforms, but by all the third parties of the extended ecosystem, which is developing for this space. And so, so that's the thing I think about from regulation. It's really, it's less the politicians initially, it's more the bureaucracy you know, looking at sort of what is their par view? What should they be doing? Do they need to seem like they're reactive to something that's going on out there? And then getting pushed by the politicians to do something potentially. And it's it's not necessarily always a terrible outcome. A lot of times it's good that we have these articles that are that 
you expose what the processes are for supervised learning, creates this education opportunity. And we don't want like giant companies taking advantage of consumers. In the same vein, you put the information out there, consumers can make their own choices to use or to not use or to use a different thing. You know, Apple really focuses on privacy. Is it more private than the others? Is it doing the same supervised learning? I don't know. But in other words, they have this opportunity to have this conversation with the consumers. And the, the thing I always am concerned about with regulation of a new technology area, which I tend to focus on new technology, not mature industries. And I'm always worried that they will overreact. And we see this time and again, they tend to regulate the last technology cycles problems hmm. after they're no longer a problem, but then they hamstrung sort of the next technology cycle or they inadvertently create these other issues because there's very few people in politics or in government service who have day-to-day deep experience with technology. It's not to say they don't exist. Uh, it's not to say they can't hire contractors that are smart, but the, the pace of change in government is by design slow. And that's good. That's a stabilizing force for society. But the change of pace in technology is fast. And we have this issue we face time and time again around technology. And, you know, the fact that we allowed the internet to grow quickly outside and we, we provided some protections made a big difference over a 10, 15 year period, whether that's still the right law from the 1990s that we should have today or not, that's a whole different story. But at that time it was really essential. And if we had shut it down, we would have had all these walled gardens and we wouldn't have the innovation that we've had over the last two decades. Well, let's not leave out that sometimes just the optics of, of what a politician or a regulator wants to have out there is not compatible um, or minimally compatible with the growth um, and what, what a tech sector needs. So, you know, uh, you get what you get with that. I want to ask you, a couple, I want to pick the ball back up and spin it a couple of other directions. I want to ask you, you know, VoiceBot has covered these stories um, about the the number of Alexa skills that Amazon has had. And that's been a key metric, you know, in, in drawing conclusions about the growth of voice in general. And, um, you know, what is it's up to like, at one point it's up to 90,000 or something. And yet, here we are in a scenario where most people only use it for weather, only use it for music. Someone might be writing a book about something like this. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. A lot of people, um, you know, just use it for weather and music. And here we are just sort of sitting here with these base use cases, despite almost 100,000 Alexa skills, all of this investment, all of these resources. And if you're talking about a voice first cold winter, you know, this is one of the things that could perceivably uh, you know, possibly be pointed at. What is your take on that reality? I, I think that that's something that people should pay a lot of attention to. And some of it is promotion about other things you can do. And I, you know, I had this uh, session at uh, the Voice 19 conference in July, and it was around voice strategy. And one of the topics we talked about was voice app discovery. And I was trying to figure out how many people in the room had actually advertised to let people know that their skill existed. And almost no one raised their hand. Um, and there were 250 people in there, many of which represented large multinational brands. 
And my follow-up was, how many of you would consider launching a mobile app and not doing some sort of advertising along with it? Or to promote it heavily on your website or to send to your corporate email list? And when it came to this idea of doing mobile or launching a new product or, you know, they would have landing pages, they would have uh, they would have uh, radio, television ads. They certainly have digital ads. They buy Facebook download ads, right? All these other things. And yet in voice, they're thinking that it's magically going to be different. And I said, so first of all, I said, okay, part of the discovery problem is your own fault. So there's some structural issues with discovery with voice, which are difficult. But every every platform that I've looked at has had a discovery problem. And there's been solutions to that. But one of those solutions has been early on, you need to advertise because you need to create awareness or else people don't know that this is a new habit that they could form and might be better. So I will say too, that when we think about the number of apps, voice apps, skills that people use, uh, it is limited. And I think it is, um, there's two things. One is it's kind of similar to what we're doing with mobile, where you see somewhere between seven and 10 apps are frequently used. And we're seeing seven to 10 skills being frequently used. I think the challenge here is that about half of those tend to be native or first party skills that are provided by Amazon or Google or or Siri. Mm. So those aren't third parties, whereas on mobile, it tends to be mostly third parties. There's a little bit of overlap there, obviously. Um, But the other thing, too, is that when people talk about this idea of how many mobile apps you use, there is a much wider variety. So people don't just have seven mobile apps on their phone. Those are the ones they use most frequently. They have 30, 40, 50. And the question is, is like frequency of use. So if I'm going to, if I'm Toyota and I want someone to buy a car, how often do they buy a car? I just need to be available at the time they're buying the car. And so there is a Toyota Car Finder app or skill. Actually, I think it's both. there's both a skill and a Google action. And I probably only need someone to use it once for it to be of value to me. Uh, there's other things like Entertainment Weekly has a, a skill. They want people using that every week or every day. Uh, so that's a little bit different. And they want to get into that habit cycle. But I think you have to step back and say, so what's the objective? And I do believe people will start using voice for more things. Uh, the What we see is right now, I just talking to some Edison research about this. They see that when they first start, they use a lot. And then it goes down to something less than 10. Uh, and then the question is, are we going to form new habits? The one thing I will tell you is none of those skills were used two years ago. So that's seven incremental and uh, when we go back uh, 12 years from now or 12 years ago, none of those mobile apps were being used either. And some of those two mobile apps changed after three or four years. So I think if you looked at your own phone, the, the mobile apps you use on a regular basis today might be different than it was five years ago. In fact, I would almost guarantee it's true. Sure. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. So, yeah, I... Um it's just interesting. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your commentary on that. I, it, um, I think you're right. I think there's nowhere to go but up. And I think the investment that they, that Amazon, just to use them as an example, um, has put into cultivating this third party development was absolutely the right move. It's just, it's just going to take a little bit of time. 
And, and there's a uh, and there's a lot of detritus in the Alexa skill store. I mean, there's a lot of garbage in there that's <laughs> used, right? Sure. And okay, fine. But what to your point. to your point, um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. To your point, it was just I tweeted about this just a few days ago. I'm looking at the Alexa skill store as I've been doing a lot lately, and um, I see what is this new Ghostbusters game. So I try this thing out. It's this new Ghostbusters thing, and and it has like you know five or six. It actually had one review at the point the first time I saw it, and it just come out. And uh, and I used it. I'm like, oh my god, this is incredible! Like is it good? Yeah, professionally produced, and yeah. uh, the the original uh, voice, act, the original actors. I think Aykroyd's in it, and and uh, one of the other guys, and. Um, really good and i so i just tweet about it uh and then wa- keep watching it and there's more reviews and but has it has there been any marketing no i think it's in tandem with this film next year but to your point um either it's people thinking you know we'll build it and they'll come which always never works um or or um it, you know they're just getting it out in advance to test it and to, you know, let it sit there and germinate a minute before they start marketing. Either way, it's interesting to see the approach. Yeah. Um, well, you actually, so that approach wouldn't be surprising to me. So, you know, Nico Vori from Drive Time. Yeah. And uh, when they launched, Drive Time is, is a mobile app only uh, game for driving. You know, so they have trivia games, but they have other ones. They have Blackjack. They have a bunch of other things coming out. And this idea is it's basically an entertainment console, voice activated entertainment console for the car, you know, through this mobile app. Well, when they launched, they initially launched in Canada and they ran it for three to four months exclusively in Canada before they launched in the U.S. because that was an opportunity for them to get it out there, get some feedback, figure out what's working, what's not. Uh, they were able to deal with it at a lower uh, volume of users. And so they didn't have, you know, potentially a big rush of people and putting strains on their systems and, and, and a, unable to like respond in a timely manner to, to, to questions or complaints. Uh, so you think about this with Ghostbusters, it could actually be the same thing. I will say that I do believe that media is going to be one of the biggest near-term adopters because what we do know is that media is really popular on smart speakers. So music streaming, radio, uh, lesser extent podcasts, although that's coming up a little bit. Uh, and then there, there's a bunch of games, some of which are popular, some of which are not. The, the, the quizzes tend to do a little bit better than the others. But media is going to be doing a lot of this. I think it's going to be sort of a standard part of their rollout package to have something so that they can you know, create a little bit more engagement. Now, I will say just one last thing on that point. Media, like the Ghostbusters game, does not need to be uh, one of those seven to 10 repeat skills because that's not really their objective. I think it's fine for them if you play it a lot, but really what they're using it for is to drive interest either before a launch, which is going to drive people to go see the movie, or afterwards to do some fan service to create some more loyalty. But they're not looking for mass adoption and frequent use necessarily. And there's a lot of those use cases out there. And they're better in voice and in mobile. 
So in mobile, there's this friction. You have to download the app and then you have to open it. And a lot of times you have to register and all these other things. Whereas voice, you can just say, ask for it and it starts. And so for someone who's doing something that might be this more transactional, they're just doing it for promotion or just doing some fan service where they can just ask for it and they can engage with it. It's actually a much lower price of entry for the, the consumer to engage with. And it's one of those things that's really good for that quick hit where you're trying to get someone really quick awareness, quick response, maybe a call to action. And then it sort of doesn't matter after that. Yeah, well, well said. I completely agree. And um, in, a, in a lot of the skills and stuff that I've looked at with this book that is coming out, you know, a lot of it is just it's very clear that the creator understood that everything that they were doing was just about that singular experience rather than a repeat experience. And uh, it's important for people to recognize the difference. Uh, I want to ask one more thing uh, just as we sort of conclude the talk about the cold winter, and then I'll, I'll ask you one more question. We'll call it a day. Um, the other way to think about, are we in a voice first cold winter? You know, I just sit here and think about what are some of the things we've seen over the last couple of years. We've talked about it. One of the things, uh, and the final thing I want to ask you about with respect to this is investment in the space. A couple of years ago, there was very little investment in the space, if any. Then there started to be some. And now it seems like we're getting, you know, the, the faucets turned on. You know, that money is available um, if you don't suck. <laughs> you know, if you've got something interesting to do. Um, I mean, look, Clink, I've made my opinion about them known. Somehow they got $52 million. Uh, but even like Spoken Layer, uh, very interesting company, three million bucks. Um, company I was just reading about this morning called Bluma to do AI based loan origination. It's got a voice tie in, two point seven million dollars. Um, you know, uh, I could just sit here and name Presence several. AI was just purchased by Groupon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like every it's like steady first. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my question for you is: Are we correctly interpreting that? what appears to be a trend uh, as a positive one, or are you still sort of on the fence about it? Does it not mean as much as we think? Well, it depends on how much confidence you have in financial investors and picking trends. A lot of them put a lot of money into AR, VR, and that hasn't paid off. So they don't have a hundred percent hit rate. However, Investment in the space is a leading indicator because most of these people are investing, assuming that they're going to get a payout in five to seven years. And they're investing in core technologies and new application uh, categories today with that understanding that they have people have to build technology, they have to build an audience, they have to refine how they go to market. And absolutely, there was almost no investment in this space. There's very little uh, two years ago. Uh, right now, it's frequent, you know, a couple times a month, maybe, maybe, maybe more frequently that, but certainly a couple times a month, we're seeing some tor- sort of, you know, two, three, five million. Every other month, we're seeing something 10 to 20 million. Occasionally, we're seeing something like Clink at 50 million, but they weren't even the first one. You need to think about uh, oh, uh, Soundhound at 100. Uh, Soundhound at 100, actually 170 million over about 11 month period. Mm. And, uh, uh, who was it? Will I Am's company with Omega, the Omega assistant, raised over a hundred million from Salesforce and a couple other things a couple of years ago. So there were a few of those out there, but what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot more of them now. Like Audioverse took another ten million, Verbit took twenty million, 
uh, about a year ago, we saw Voicia take uh, 15 to 17 million. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then you see some of these smaller financings like Dashbot took 3 million, VoiceFlow took 3 million, Voiceify took two some million. Uh, so th these things are out there. Zed Media raised 3 million. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there who are raising in this space. I think there's general confidence that in kind of the way that the, maybe the media sees this, oh, it's worth talking about this now because people sort of know about it and it's probably going to be here for a while. Uh, some investors are saying, yeah, this, this is a real thing. We know it's taking off. Then the question is, do you have the right business model in order to take advantage of it? It's interesting to see because, um, yeah, the crickets were really chirping a couple of years ago, um, you know, and um, I mean, it almost feels like, and, and you'll probably agree, I mean, there probably needs to be like an, an investment part of VoiceBot.ai where all the articles just relate to investments in the space. And that's something you can sort by, and maybe, you know, um, as far as this week in voice goes, it, it's rapidly getting to the point where. Um, I mean, if I wanted to go out, scour internationally and find a story every week about investment in the space, I could do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and Mangrove VC just put out a study a couple weeks ago. So they're VC out of uh, Europe. And they basically have said investment in voice has tripled um, or will triple this year. It's actually already more this year than it was all of last year. Hmm. Uh, so they, they have a couple acquisitions in there, which I might question, but certainly what they're tracking is it's, it's significantly higher than it was a year ago and it's going to continue that way. And if you go to voicebot.ai and our search bar in the upper right, if you type in voice technology funding, you'll see all sorts of articles. Uh, no, I have no doubt. And, and what's the first thing that a company needs to do when they get that funding? This is, this is an important test for you, by the way. They need to go to Project Voice? That's exactly right. They need to register for Project Voice and come on into the Voice World Fair. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just on that. I know my audience, I think. That's, that's the gold star for today, Brett. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, glad I got that. So uh, I want to I ask you one more thing just while I got you. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you being part of the show as always and, uh, and what you do with the site. It's, it's an essential resource just flat out, you know, I've been, I've been on your bandwagon for a while, but um, I mean, it would almost be disqualifying for somebody in the space to not know about your site. Like that's the point where you're at. So, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool for you. That's great. Um, our voicebot.ai story of the summer. I'm going to, we've got a third story about uh, how Alexa is being used in the educational context in India. I'm going to leave that out for the purpose of time. But this story about voice being critical on phones, um, I thought this was a pretty eye-opening piece. And, you know, really my first exposure to this concept was at the Voice of the Car Summit, which we enjoyed having you be part of that, um, where um, voice is being used more in the car than in the home. Didn't know that. Yeah. And inherent in that is that it's being used more on smartphones than anywhere else. In putting this piece together, what stood out to you, you know, more than, more than anything else? You know, what, was, uh, what should we take away as people reading this in your estimation from this article? Well, I think the important thing to start out is that, that data that you're, you're referring to came from a study that we did with Voices.com. So we collaborated on a survey of several hundred 
North American marketers. And we said, hey, when you look at voice, what do you think about, right? And we had a whole series of questions. It's a detailed questionnaire. And you can go to voicebot.ai for slash research. You can read the whole thing. 30-page article. There's probably, or 30-page report. There's 20 plus different data points and charts that we have in there. But one of the key findings was that if you ask the question about which surface, and so mobile, appliances, car, smart speaker, marketers are most enthusiastic about what they think is most necessary for them to have a position in, they said mobile. And so there's a few different takeaways from this. One is, first of all, I think part of that is a factor of marketers already having programs around mobile. And so they see this as an extension of that, where they don't necessarily have a program around voice as a separate category, but they, they do around mobile and they see that. And then, as you mentioned, that data that I talked about at Voice of the Car Summit, you know, there's more than twice as many monthly active users of voice on smartphones as there are on smart speakers. So, you know, you think about this sentiment that they already have these mobile programs and that fewer than a third of consumers have smart speakers but almost 90% have smartphones. The same voice assistants are accessible on both of these. You can use them in any country. Uh, so if you think about that, then you know it's, it was maybe not that surprising. And if I think about the, the numbers, if I might have this up, uh, if I look at it really quickly, but the, um, it was like 60% more were focused on uh, using uh, voice, uh, building a marketing program around voice on smartphones is is on smart speakers. And smart speakers and the car were about the same. But both, they were all high, right? So they're saying, okay, voice, in, in some ways you could look at it and you could say, geez, a lot of people want to do smart TVs or they want to do smart microwaves as well. I mean, there were all these different options that they had. So it was really high across the board, but it was much higher on smartphones than than the smart speaker in the car, and then everything else was was a step below that. And so uh, what I think of is that's essentially a wake-up call for anybody who's building for this space and any marketer out there say, oh, well, if you're going to help people bring content or bring voice apps to market, you better be talking to them about how consumers will use this on the phone. And if they're using it on the phone as opposed to in the home, it's a different experience. So it's more of a one-to-one -one experience as opposed to a potentially a consume, uh, communal experience. It's going to be a different context than probably be on the go or they'd be out and about. Maybe they'll be in the home too uh, versus where they're going to be with a smart speaker and the different types of, of use cases they might have interest in. So that's why I, I, I thought that was a really interesting finding and, and really should be something that people in the industry should focus on because there's very few Alexa skills or Google actions that are really designed for consumers that are on the go. Excellent. Excellent. As always, I got one more question for you and uh, we'll close with this. Um, so we're excited to have you be part of project voice with us. Excited. You'll be part of that program. And if someone wants to see that they can go to ProjectVoice.ai. So that conference is in January. It's in mid January. So, yes. and, and we're all thinking about, you know, what's happening between now and the end of the year. For, for you and for voicebot.ai, give us a sneak preview. What can we expect? You always got wheels turning within wheels. You know, uh, What can we expect to see from you and voicebot between now and the end of the year? 
Well, first and foremost, you're going to see lots of news coverage and we're coming into the fall and that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of new devices launched. So we have the IFA conference, IFA out of Berlin, which is sort of the CES of Europe, which is going to happen in about a week and a half, or I don't know when this is going to publish, but it's going to happen in early September. And there's going to be a lot of new devices that are going to be introduced. Okay. Uh, Amazon, the last two years has had a device uh kickoff or device launch event in September. Google for the last several years has had one in October. Uh, we have the uh, Galaxy Home smart speaker mm. the, uh, that was announced a year ago that we expect to see this fall. So there's going to be a lot of devices and we're going to see it in more types of devices. So one of the things I was talking to some folks from Amazon recently, we saw the microwave come out last year as a reference design. We saw the wall clock, some of these other appliances that they're, and they created these tools like these, these chipsets and new um, software tools to allow manufacturers to more easily integrate Alexa into their devices. A lot of those, those uh, products are going to come out now. They're going to come out this fall because it takes about a year to factor sometimes two, but it takes at least a year to factor those in. So I think those are going to be really important over the, and from a device standpoint, so we're going to see a voice and just lots more things. A lot of manufacturers are going to integrate it themselves. And we're going to see a lot more activity, a lot more focus around the phone and the applications that can be used on the phone. Integration, um, I think we will see some multimodal integration with the phone, with voice, with multimedia. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. We're going to, some of the things I'm seeing out there, are a lot more sophisticated than what we were talking about even just six months or a year ago. So, so that's what I'm looking for. I think the phone and new devices will probably be what will dominate this fall, as well as some regulatory intrigue. You heard it here first. And uh, Brett, we appreciate you on behalf of a lot of people, including myself. Thank you for all that you do at VoiceBot and that list of 44 people that you came up with. Um, and that your judges came up with. Congratulations, uh, by the yeah, way, Bradley. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was honored to be part of it. But just in general, like the gargantuan amount of effort that that took to produce and to roll out and to do all of that, um, it's appreciated. So in addition to everything else you're doing, it's it, which is also appreciated. So thank you for who you are, what you're doing. Thank you for kicking off season four with us. Uh, it's an honor. Well, thank you. It's really great. And I, I'll just do a quick shout out to Ava Mutchler, a co-founder over at VoiceBot, Kelly Johnston, Eric Schwartz, who some of you guys have met, Peter Bonaventure, who does a lot of our audio engineering for the podcast. Um, all these people and, and many others have really helped on that. And then for the for, Top 44 in Voice, which was turned out to be a much bigger effort than I was anticipating. I'm glad that I had a panel of judges to sort of shepherd this through. Uh, but there were five of them, you know, you know, Nick Schwab, Karen Kashansky, uh, so uh, Doug Schumacher, people that I think in, in the community are, are definitely known, um, uh, Theo Lau. So a lot of folks really contributed to that. And I thought it was necessary. I think we as a team thought it was necessary to, to put a stake in the ground and recognize some of the people who are really making a difference and give them some, some notoriety that people can say, oh, okay, here's some people who are doing some interesting things. Because what we thought that would do is not just shine a light on what they're doing and maybe create a little bit more awareness of all the really wide breadth of innovation that's going on, 
but also spark some interest and some ideas from people to say, oh, if they're doing that, what if I did something a little bit different? Or what, that makes me think nobody's doing this other thing. Maybe I should do that. So that, that's really where we started from that. Yeah, I mean, the, the multiplicative impact of something of that magnitude, it's hard to measure. Um, and it, there's no doubt it's going to continue and, and help propel things forward. And um, yeah, that's exciting. Um, and it was a surprise. No one knew it was coming. That was the key. Oh, yeah. Somebody said, do you see this thing? I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? And um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was fantastic. We didn't want any lobbying or anything. Now the cat's out of the bag. I'm sure there'll be lobbying, but there'll be an entirely new set of judges if we do this again in the future. So you don't don't bother our existing judges if you want to be on the list. We will find you. So flattery and or physical gifts mailed to voicebot.ai will be a minimal use. Um, Except for cash. uh, Brett, we appreciate you. Um, So for this week in voice, season four, episode one. Thank you for listening. And until next time.